Hello, and welcome to Missing, America's favorite true crime podcast. This week, we'll be investigating the disappearance of one Steve Bruce, manager of Newcastle United FC, one of the most famous soccer clubs in the English ELP, the potential involvement of the mega-rich state of Saudi Arabia, and how it just might be connected to a tiny group of friends, fantasy drafted. This story has everything, a disappearance, an oil-rich state, corrupt politics, conspiracy, obsession, revenge, and desire. So settle in, put your feet up, and get ready to enjoy this week's episode of Mystic. Newcastle United is one of English soccer's great clubs. It has won four league titles, six FA Cups, an FA Charity Shield, as well as the 1968-69 Inner City Fairs Cup and the 2006 UEFA Intertoto Cup, the ninth highest total of trophies won by an English club. Newcastle plays at St. James Park every weekend in front of 52,000 dedicated fans but recently it has fallen on hard times. The club was purchased by the businessman Mike Ashley in 2007, but his reign was pretty unpopular with the club's fan base. Yeah, he's a prick. He took our club and grown it into that ground. Zero relegations, zero ambition, and zero respect. And outside of soccer, Mike Ashley wasn't too popular either. Mike Ashley is evil incarnate. I don't think it's a stretch to say he embodies everything that's wrong with capitalism. He built his empire by selling disposable clothing made by what were essentially slaves in sweatshops and staffing his god-awful stores and warehouses and employees on incredibly precarious zero-hours contracts. Mike Ashley is reprehensible. And that's not mentioning his personality. Yeah, so Mike Ashley was once trying to intimidate this analyst who wanted to devalue Sports Direct stock. Um, and he got his management staff together with uh, the analyst, and they all sat down in this room above a pub um, near some like Sports Direct warehouse, you know, in the north somewhere. Um, and Ashley, you know, announced to the to the room that they'd play this game. Um, they would drink and keep drinking, and the first person to leave the room to urinate or whatever, you know, they, they'd lose the game. Um, Ashley gets them to drink, um, like, you know, pints but with vodka chasers, or vodka but with lager chasers, whichever way round the chaser is. Um, and, like, really quickly, they've had, like, 12 of each thing. So, 24 total each. Um, and the analyst, like, cracks and is like, I, I need a wee. And he, like, leaves the room. He's all fucked up. Um, and Mike Ashley gets up, 
this is a true story, vomits into the fireplace and then beats his chest like a like a uh, like an ape. Um and his staff like applaud it. Um you know it's kind of cool really, like um like something on succession. But you know, in a room above a pub in Newcastle. So it's fair to say Mike Ashley is a pretty unpopular figure. He put almost no money into the club. He spent almost nothing on signing new players and likewise on coaches to manage the club. Zero ambition. It was a strategy designed to make the club attractive to potential buyers. In soccer, there's a concept called, quote, financial fair play. Financial fair play means that if your club isn't making money, it can't spend money. It's designed to make sure overly ambitious soccer clubs don't go broke spending money that they don't have. So, a soccer club that's run at a profit, like Newcastle, with a huge fan base and a historic reputation, like Newcastle, is really an attractive proposition to cash-rich buyers because they can immediately start to spend money without having to worry about financial fair play. Perhaps the culmination of Mike Ashley's penny-pinching policy came with the signing of Steve Bruce as head coach. To say Steve Bruce is something of a joke in English soccer is an understatement. He's not so much a football manager as a definitive answer to the question, who ate all the pies? He looks um, like that bit in Spirited Away, where the parents have half turned into pigs. A man like Steve Bruce, is the manager of a Premier League football club, should really be seen as inspirational. I mean, it just goes to show you that anyone really can do anything that they want. I'd say watching Steve Bruce work is, is like watching a cow trying to operate heavy machinery. But to be honest, cows are significantly more intelligent. I mean, I should know. He's a fucking jerk. But Mike Ashley's strategy worked. In October 2021, Newcastle was purchased for £300 million. That's over $400 million by the Saudi Arabian government's Sovereign Wealth Fund. The purchase made Newcastle the richest soccer club in the country and made Mike Ashley an even richer man. It gave Saudi Arabia a way of being perceived around the world, not as a dictatorship which regularly beheads its citizens and where being gay is a crime, but as a country that runs a soccer club that provides entertainment to billions around the world every week. It's called soft power. But the Saudis had one problem. Steve Bruce, the coach of Newcastle Soccer Club. Uh, the rumour is like that Brucey and Ashley were such good mates when that takeover happened. Ashley secretly gave Brucey a contract and made it almost impossible for the Saudis to fire him. Ashley can't just win. He has to make sure that everyone else loses. Like, And Steve Bruce was his part in blow to the Saudis. He's a prick. So the Saudis, desperate to make Newcastle the best club in the world, had a big Steve Bruce-shaped problem. And by a strange coincidence, a few weeks after the takeover, Steve Bruce disappeared off the face of the earth. And he still hasn't been found. I'm amazed we can misplace a person so bloody large. It shocked English football. But what's more strange is how Steve Bruce's disappearance is perhaps connected to a tiny fantasy soccer league organized by one Andy Deller, 
from a small town called Worthing all the way at the other end of England. for years. That's what it's called. There are 32 of us now, you know, you pick players you think will perform well and they're awarded points based on their performance. The manager with the best performing players wins. I mean, it's just a bit of fun, really, but we take it very seriously. We have four divisions, we have a cup competition, social media presence, a newsletter, a weekly podcast. It's absolutely ruined my life. I think we must all be masochists. There's clearly something wrong with us. Oh, there's definitely something wrong with all of us. But Andy, most of all. Well, I don't think there's anything wrong with me. I'm just running a fantasy league for my friends. Obviously, it's quite involved, but if people take it too seriously, that's their problem. The podcast? Man, that must be the stupidest thing I've ever gotten involved in. I produce the Creme de la Prem podcast. I don't really think it should exist, to be honest. I'm the best host of the Creme de la Prem podcast. And I don't think it should exist. It's mad. I'm the best host of the Creme de la Prem podcast, and I don't think it should exist. Ah, and the podcast is just great. It's definitely the stupidest thing I do with my life, and that's saying something. I'm amazed anyone listens. I'm amazed anyone listens. It's mad that anyone listens. I mean, it's an hour-long podcast about a fantasy league with... 32 people in it, none of them are famous, none of them are particularly charming or interesting or funny. It's often pretty offensive. It's just a group of pre-midlife crisis men laughing at their own terrible jokes and talking about imaginary football. But the podcast for the Creme de la Creme Fantasy Soccer League did find a cult audience in an unexpected place. Yeah, I looked at our analytics one day and discovered that we were getting all these downloads from the Middle East. Um, it starts in Kazakhstan and then um, spread it to the rest of the region. It's pretty strange. Um, don't really have an answer on that one, to be honest. It's like a band, right, with, with no fans. No fans, you know. <laughs> and then you discover all of a sudden that you're massive in Japan. We're actually the fifth most popular sports podcast in the Middle East region, which is baffling because the podcast doesn't even really have appeal if you know who we are or live in England. I didn't even know they listened to podcasts, which might be a bit racist to think. But on the same day Steve Bruce, Newcastle coach, disappeared from the face of the earth, tragedy struck the Creme de la Creme Fantasy League. Jamie, he just disappeared. Oh, but Jamie was a good guy. He'd been playing in the league for a season and a bit. Great value on the podcast. I mean, he wasn't really very good at the fantasy side of things, you know. It was really... It was weird. Well, I mean, I noticed that he hadn't uh, been posted in the WhatsApp group for a while and... And then I checked and he hadn't done any waivers or made any changes to his team before the deadline. So I called um, 
to check in and you know, he, he didn't pick up. Jamie. Which which Jamie? Oh right. Uh yeah. Yeah, missing, yeah. So I had one of us go round to his house and you know, he'd been reported missing. Jamie, like Steve Bruce, had disappeared off the face of the earth. Jamie was last seen a couple of hours before Steve Bruce went missing. Surely a coincidence. But their paths had been intertwined for some time in the most unlikely of ways. But before we explore that link, we need to go backwards in the story. Newcastle Soccer Club was very unpopular with English soccer fans. A frustration expressed regularly on the Creme de la Prem podcast. Bobby, it's absolute bollocks. The state of football, it's just soft power, isn't it? It's a way for an authoritarian regime to buy influence. This is a country that beheads people, that beheaded 37 people in one day. Probably wasn't enough. A country that is actively bombing the Yemen with missiles we sold them. Allegedly, what are we meant to think? That the Saudis are massive fans of the tune? That the chaps at the reins of the Sovereign Wealth Fund are massive Warren Barton fans? Did they have posters of Peter Lovencrans on their walls growing up? That's not fair. I think everyone did. But I'd be surprised if they even know who won the fight between Dyer and Bowyer. It's a joke. It's an absolute joke. Football is meant to be the sport of the common man. I can't think of anything more the antithesis of that than a club like Newcastle being owned by a state like Saudi Arabia. I'm interested to see how Saudi Arabia, a country where being gay is against the law, um, can square their ownership of Newcastle with things like, you know, the gay pride rainbow laces the players wear sometimes. It's almost as if those gestures are just entirely meaningless. The gap between what people in power say and what people in power do is so large. The image has become entirely separated from reality. It's farcical. And quickly, the show's often expressed ire for the Saudi regime began to attract attention from some pretty powerful people. Yeah, I run the complaints inbox for the show. Yeah, Kennedy forwarded me some of the um, some of those emails. So, uh, yeah, emails started off. Pretty innocuous, you know, written in broken English, saying things like, maybe spend less time talking about politics and more time talking about football. Yeah, it was, um... Yeah. Yeah, it was strange at first. I mean, obviously I thought they were a joke, so... For the record, right, I don't like it when we go off topic. I try to keep the, the you know, the discussion moving in the right way. This is a football podcast, right? It's not a politics podcast. But soon the emails are saying things like, uh, you've disrespected the Saudi estate, cease and desist, the Saudi investment fund will rejuvenate Newcastle, do not cross us, etc, etc. And um, there was a point where it got like quite a bit worse, which was after I started using the Borat sound clip on the soundboard. Yeah, I replied to a couple, I said what I believe, it's our podcast, it's for us, not you, we'll say whatever we bloody well like. But um, they did seem to think it was very important that we stay on topic. 
frankly, I think we may have underestimated our influence on the Middle Eastern political sphere. Prior to Jamie, one of its players going missing, the creme de la creme, a tiny fantasy league, had squarely attracted the attention of one of the most powerful governments in the world. And it wasn't the first time the league had become involved in global politics. Yeah, I mean, Dad might have been a spy, but he's retired now. I don't think he was a spy. My dad is not a spy. Mark was for sure a spy. Mark Probert was the elder statement of the creme de la creme fantasy league. To his sons and the rest of the world, Mark was an unassuming cartographer. His story was that he started off working for the Ordnance Survey and then transitioned into supplying consultancy services for developing countries looking to build a functional land registry system. Dad was always going away on these business trips to strange countries, and often at short notice as well. He said it was for work, you know, map making, but he'd come home with these strange injuries. We never heard anything about what actually happened on those trips. It was always, oh, you know, it's very boring, you boys don't want to hear about that. Mark quit the league at the close of the 2020-2021 season amidst attention from the Chinese government. I can't remember exactly what it was, but I think we were talking about Chinese ownership in the Premier League. Not sure. It was a segment where we had to guess whether someone was a Chinese pop star or a Chinese owner of a football club. And when someone got a right answer, I played the gong sound on the soundboard, which was pretty racist, I guess. Yeah, I remember the complaints inbox received an email from the British government saying the issue was particularly sensitive at the time, we needed to leave well alone. It, it was something about a trade deal being worked on. Mark quit the league shortly after. Well, I felt it was time for me to retire. Uh, well, I, I loved the boys, but it became clear that what was said on that podcast had some pretty far-reaching consequences. We pressed Mark on whether he had at any time been involved with the British intelligence. I can't comment on that. But he declined to comment. Jamie, the player in the Creme de la Creme Fantasy League who went missing, was last seen driving up the A3, heading north. His car was later found abandoned at a gas station just south of Durham. The Bruce was often the object of ridicule on the podcast, but Jamie took this to new lengths. Jamie's interest in Steve Bruce was strange, to say the least. I'd say it was bordering on obsession. I mean, Steve Bruce is a funny character, sure, but Jamie would bring him up at every possible opportunity. Do I think that it is strange that you went missing on the same day as Steve Bruce? Listen, uh, you know, I ultimately I just want him to come home safe. We've listened back to the podcast, and the number of times Jamie brings up Newcastle coach Steve Bruce is truly shocking. Here's just a selection of his comments.
A little known fact was that Steve Bruce once owned and managed the Timpsons concession in the Gateshead Sainsbury's car park. And Steve used to love engraving trophies which people would bring to him, but what he would do was engrave his own name onto them, just so as a manager, he could say that he had actually got some silverware in his hands with his name on it. Listen, I've, I've read all three of Steve Bruce's novels, and let me say, they are both fascinating and dreadful in equal measure. It's, Steve, it's fair to say that Steve Bruce is a football man. You cut Steve Bruce, he bleeds football. Oh, or Bovril, football, Bovril, or maybe Newcastle Brown, I'm not sure. But Jamie's comments soon became more and more concerning. I just wonder what Steve Bruce is doing right now. I, I really do wish we were better friends, or, or just friends. I actually managed to track down Steve Bruce's address on the internet. I mean, it's absolutely amazing the stuff you can find on there. So I found this really old, unaired episode of Through the Keyhole, which had Steve's house on it. It was never aired because actually his house isn't that interesting or that grand. But even still, I found it and piecing together some of the evidence, like the direction of the sun, some of the trees and things like that, I was able to triangulate the position in Google Maps. I do wonder whether Steve Bruce is at home very often, alone. I mean, you wouldn't expect so. Uh, a seasoned journeyman such as Steve Bruce himself, who, a footballing man who must have made so many contacts through the years, he couldn't surely be alone. But I don't know, maybe he is. I actually reached out to see if he was doing all right, you know, a couple of weeks before before he was reported missing. I went round to Jamie's and Andy. Um, have you seen that uh, that bit in Alan Partridge when he goes round to that superfan's house? He invited us in and, yeah, said he'd pop the kettle on. So he hands us these cups of tea and I notice that both of the mugs have Steve Bruce's massive face on them. And then I take a sip, right, and whatever... He is drinking, he put in that mug. He's disgusting. I mean, I spat it, the whole thing out. It was a mug of hot gravy. And I'm like, Jamie, what the fuck? He says, get this. To understand Steve Bruce, you have to become Steve Bruce. So then obviously at this point, I'm, I'm, I'm worried. I'm worried. So I was like, yeah, 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 right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, try to make a joke of it. All the while he's gulping down on this gravy. I mean, from this weird, bespoke, like, Steve Bruce crockery set. I don't think you could buy that. You must have had to get it custom made. And then, right, he's like, that's nothing, mate. Come and see the Bruce room. And he, and he leads us into this dark room. It was, honest to God, one of the worst things I have ever seen. He flicks the lights on, and it's like... Sorry, it's quite traumatic. 
a shrine to Steve Bruce. Pictures from his playing days to management career, football stickers, stats, posters. He must have had every bit of Steve Bruce paraphernalia that was ever produced. Oh, and the drawings. These awful drawings. I think they were meant to be Jamie and Steve Bruce hanging out, being best friends, their arms around each other. I mean, in a sense, right, it was rather sweet, you know, but in another more real sense, it was completely terrifying. We got out of there pretty fast. At this point in our research and for this episode, we began to be convinced that James sees Bruce's disappearances were linked. The circumstantial evidence to back Jamie's involvement is huge. The comments on the podcast, the clear obsession, the fact he admitted to finding out the Newcastle coach's home address. We spoke to Janet Bruce, Steve's wife, to understand more about Steve's mindset in the days leading up to the disappearance. He was distracted. Obviously, Steve's job was on the line. The new ownership just amplified that. But there was also weird stuff going on about the house. At night, you'd hear noises coming from the garden. I didn't believe it at first. One night, he went out there with a golf club. He came back really shaken up. He just kept saying, a shark, a shark. Now, I put up with a lot of shit, but obviously, I thought he'd finally cracked. But what Janet saw with her own eyes made her question her assessment of her husband's sanity. Then I started hearing the noises too. And one night I saw it myself. This bloke in a a shark suit peering through the window. It was mad. I told this shark bloke to fuck off and he sort of flipped away. Was it Jamie trespassing on the Bruce's property? I just hope he's back soon. The gutters need doing. But as we were becoming convinced, Pedro, the producer of the Creme de la Creme podcast, made some comments that caused us to think twice. Yeah, listen, I'm not saying I'm glad Jamie went missing, all right? He shared that with us, completely unprompted. So every year, well, once, and the second one will be this year, I do um, a Halloween special with the podcast. Pedro clearly had some strong feelings about Jamie. So, yeah, I was halfway through writing this year's Halloween episode... Um, which actually takes like a lot of time. Um, but, but I do find it fun, you know. It's nice to do something scripted. Um, you know, I like the control. But Jamie put a spanner in Pedro's plan. So, um, so I'm like almost done on the script for this year's episode. Um, and then Jamie pops up in like the WhatsApp group and starts pitching ideas for this year's Halloween special, uh, which is, you know, fundamentally annoying because it's my thing. Um, And then, like, off the record, um, the worst thing is, like, the ideas he's pitching are, like, far better than mine. Um, And, you know, it just makes me so fucking angry, you know? Um, So, yeah... Um, yeah, obviously I'm, I'm not saying I'm glad he's gone, but if we never see him again, you know, I'm not going to cry myself to sleep. 
But when asked to account for his movements on the day of Jamie's disappearance, Pedro became flustered. When? Um, uh, uh, yeah, let me check my calendar. Um, yeah, yeah, look, yeah, um, yeah, I was with, uh, Tom the whole day, yeah. Naturally, we checked that alibi. Pedro? No, we don't hang out. Um, he's quite a weird guy. Suddenly, there was a new suspect in the disappearance, a suspect who had lied about his alibi. As part of researching this episode, Andy agreed to turn over the league's expense receipts. Yeah. I mean, I'd rather you didn't reveal that there's an expense account. I'll keep it, you know, I'll keep access pretty restricted, you know, on the download. We initially began digging through the receipts to understand Jamie's movements and mindset prior to his disappearance. But we found something very strange. Two days before Jamie disappeared, Pedro had submitted receipts for a lunch at a restaurant in Knightsbridge, less than 100 metres from the Saudi embassy. Yeah, it was just lunch. Like a business lunch. Like, um, you know, podcast business stuff. The restaurant owner agreed to show us their CCTV footage from that lunch service. And what we saw was shocking. The, the men Pedro was lunching with were two Saudis, who we were able to identify as Saudi ambassadors to the United Kingdom. What exactly are you implying here? The lunch was brief. Pedro handed over a folder of documents, and the Saudi ambassadors provided a thick envelope, potentially filled with cash in return. That, that could have been anything. Had Pedro sold out Jamie to the Saudis as revenge for his meddling in his Halloween special? Were the Saudis, incensed at Jamie's slander Steve Bruce on the podcast, looking to get rid of him? Was Pedro providing the Saudis with intelligence relating to Jamie's movements? What exactly was in that folder? But as we began to look into Pedro's involvement in Jamie's disappearance, Steve Bruce's son, Alex, a footballer who had played for Hull in North Ireland, was conducting an investigation into his father's disappearance. I was really worried about Dad, obviously. His car was gone, and there was all that stuff with the Saudis wanting him out, and then the weird stuff happening at the house, so I took to social media. Personally, I was convinced that the Saudis had disappeared him, because they couldn't get him out of that contract. See, Bruce was a firm believer in the power of social media. We were talking once about the abuse a referee was getting on Twitter and that. Dad was amazed, so I told him, Dad, that's nothing compared with what you get. I showed him and he was amazed at how mean people can be. Calling him, calling him, you know, a fat cunt, a human cabbage, a joke. I could go on. But that never shook his faith in social media because the dog went missing once and we posted it all over Facebook and Twitter and someone actually found the dog and brought it back. So he knew how powerful it was. Alex's campaign started to gain traction. I made a hashtag in that. Hashtag find Steve. I posted pictures of him in his car and what was missing, and people were really helpful. I think at least 12 people retweeted it. While Alex Bruce was searching for his dad, football fans all over the country speculated on the mystery. 
It's weird, isn't it? He wrote those books where a thinly disguised version of himself like solved international espionage crimes and now here he is, potentially at the centre of one. Really? You have to feel sorry for Brucey. He's a good football man. He loves it. He loves his family and his car, but he's a relic from a bygone era. It really is a perfect culture clash, a perfect metaphor. All this money coming into the league, changing football, and it leaves people, the real football men, the real fans, real people behind. They're all going to disappear like Brucey if the money guys have it their way. Is it really worth it? Ah, we might get to see Philip Coutinho in a Newcastle shirt, but we lose all the romance of charm having guys like Brucey, joking here, Neil Warnock, Tony Poolish, real football men. These are people who just absolutely shouldn't be involved in a multi-billion pound entertainment product, but there they were, week after week, week in, week out. And that's what made football great. Is that trade worth it? To me, it's not. It's definitely not. And as the fans speculated, we continued to review the tips that Alex Bruce's social media campaign had generated. And we made a startling discovery. Look, I never meant for anyone to think that I was missing. Steve Bruce's beloved Jaguar XJ8 had been photographed in Overton, a popular fishing spot on the River Team. Look, I, I guess it could be viewed that um, some of my behaviour has been a tad strange. Jamie had a hard start to the season, and he'd begun to see parallels between his plight and the troubled Newcastle coach. Look, I've made no secret of the fact that I'm a massive fan of Steve Bruce. I mean, this, this guy, he was the greatest defender of his generation to have never received an England cap. I mean, I look at him as a manager, yeah, he's had some ups and downs, but I try and emulate his management style in how I manage my own fantasy team. He, he is clearly a motivator, a people's person, a man's man. And when I see Steve struggling with Newcastle and he's getting all that stick, I parallel it to the struggle which I had with my own boys. And I just felt that at this time, Steve could really use a friend. Jamie had been trespassing at the Bruce property. Okay, so I drove up there, and for a couple of nights, I guess I did just kind of hang out, you know, in the garden, um, behind a bush. And this this was more just to get a kind of feel for things. Look, I'm, I'm naturally quite shy, and it's not like you can just call up Steve Bruce and see if he wants to go out for a pint, is it? I mean, this, this is Steve Bruce. But why the shark outfit? And, and trespassing is a crime, although granted it is a civil matter. A lot of people get confused over the law around trespassing. But, um, but anyway, that, we'll, we'll park that. So I thought, anyway, it was, it was best to wear my old Sid for Sharp get-up. So that way, obviously nobody would recognise me and I'll be able to blend right in. But what actually happened to make Jamie and the Newcastle manager disappear off the face of the earth? So anyway, one night, I'm hanging around in the garden behind my favourite bush. I think it was a holly bush, actually, and I, I say that from bad experience whilst uh, urinating in the dark. But anyway, I'm stood there wearing my sit outfit, and I think I've been spotted a couple of times, once by Steve himself and once by his lovely wife, Janet. I mean, uh, she's 
to say she's got a beautiful soul is probably the best way uh, best way to describe Janet. Um, so I'm being really careful, but you know it's late and I've not been getting much sleep on account of the fact that I've been spending all all night in Steve Bruce's garden watching his house, and it's it's really peaceful there as well. You hear the rhythmic sound of Steve snoring, bellowing across his land at night, um, and yeah, it's it's actually quite a restful sound. It's it's akin to whale music. I think he should do a pod broadcasting the sleeping sounds of Steve Bruce. I think it would be a money spinner. And I should have talked to him about this. But anyway, eventually I drift off. And then at about 6am, I wake up. Steve, completely naked, is stood... And I didn't avert my gaze because I feel comfortable looking at a naked man. It's nothing to be ashamed of. We're, we're all the same. He stood there, straddled over me, holding a golf club with tears running down his face. We asked Steve to appear on the podcast, but he declined. I mean, to be fair, Steve's actually quite a shy man. I mean, you probably wouldn't get that from some of his press conferences, but he genuinely is. And you might not think, based on the fact he's wandering around his garden naked, that he is shy. But around Janet, he's perfectly comfortable. He's He's got no shame whatsoever. But anyway, so he's come out of his house to inspect the slug damage to his runner beans, because Steve's a very, very keen grower of his of his own produce, hence why he owns a farm. And he's drinking some sort of hot beverage, has a whiff of Bovril to it, but it's six in the morning, and I'm thinking not even a Geordie's drinking Bovril at six in the morning. But anyway, he's come out, he's found me there asleep, dressed in a shark outfit, and he's like, excuse me, what are you doing in my garden dressed as a cartoon shark? Um, and I think I scared him a bit, which is why he reached for his seven iron, which, as we all know, is Steve's favourite club. Um, he gets great range with a seven iron. But Steve and Jamie quickly hit it off. So I'm like, listen, I'm a manager too, Steve. And believe me, I'm having my own fair share of problems. I thought just perhaps, you know, we could help each other out. Just have some downtime together and talk about the stresses of management. So you clearly needed a friend. And I'll, I'll probably never forget what happened next. And it's, it's something I'll take to my grave with me. Steve looked, confused for a moment. But then he realised I was being genuine. And more tears started to roll down his big red cheeks. All the way down over his nude body, which was now starting to glisten in the early morning light. He offered out one of his chubby hands to pull me up off the ground, both physically and metaphorically. His massive arms... Slightly more flaccid than when he was a, a fit athlete of a player, wrapped around me, and we stared into each other's eyes. And for that moment, all of our problems melted away, much like Steve Bruce looks like a melted waxwork figure of Paolo Maldini. We weren't football managers in that moment. We were just two men, one nude, one dressed as a shark, embracing, finding a shared moment in time. And it was beautiful for anybody watching on they would have probably have been emotional seeing that too. The two managers quickly hit it off. So once once we were done holding each other, which to me felt like an eternity, but in reality it was probably closer to seven minutes, or or as we jokingly looked back and called our Fergie time, we, we really started to talk about points, and I could sense he didn't want to go to training that day. And you you could see it in his eyes that he was he was almost scared. So I suggested, look, Steve why don't we go fishing? I I know there's some fantastic, fantastic fly fishing rivers up here in the northeast. We just take the day out. And you could see at that point, it was like a weight lifted off of Steve Steve's mind. And his eyes just lit up. 
The two managers packed up Steve's rods into the Jaguar XJ8 and left straight away. Honestly, I just don't think he wanted anybody to know where he was. He just needed some peace and quiet. And to be fair, so did I. The CDP is a very demanding league. Um, I mean, the amount of correspondence which come through the WhatsApp group, the newsletter, it's, it's just so much pressure. And I think we both in that moment needed peace and quiet. So we just sat there, we fished, we like to talk about birds. Steve's a very keen um, ornithologist, actually, and his knowledge surprised me. So we sat there, he was pointing out the different species of birds, and when the sun began to set, we looked into each other's eyes and neither of us wanted it to end. So we decided to check into a local B&B together. I know that might sound odd, given he only lives five minutes down the road, but Janet was quite clear since uh, the incident with Charles and Zogbeer that she doesn't want him bringing back strange men to the house. So, I mean, that seemed fair. So anyway, we went to this local B&B. The hours turned to days, and the days turned to weeks. We had a really beautiful time, Steve and I, and I think I've genuinely developed a friend for life there. But funnily enough, the afternoon that he found me, he started, I could sense he was starting to get restless. And I told him I didn't want it to end, but he told me the same. But then he also said that we're both football managers, and this is a duty far beyond a duty to ourselves. We have a duty and a responsibility to our clubs, And we can treasure this moment, but we have to go back because this is a solemn duty and because that's what men do. And then Steve said something to me I'll I'll never forget. He said, the world around you might change, but you just don't have to keep a stiff upper lip. Keep doing what you can and stay true to yourself. And then Steve put his thumb lightly on my upper lip, tender almost, and said, stay stiff, Jamie. And that's, that's when you guys found us. he bloody gone fishing i said to him right after we got home i bet you've bloody gone fishing the gutters need doing typical social media worked again dad was right obviously i'm just glad jamie's okay now if i were going to get advice on managing a football team steve bruce isn't the first person i'd ask you know but we'll see how it works for him i suspect not very well Steve and Jamie both returned to their families and teams. Steve's right. I am a football manager, and it might be hard sometimes, but I'll stay true to that. It's my duty, like Steve Bruce said. But what of Pedro's lunch with the Saudi ambassadors and the documents and money exchanged at that meeting? Yeah, it wasn't like anything to do with Jamie, or you know, or Steve Bruce, obviously. Um, uh, the Saudis were interested in sponsoring the podcast. That's all. You know, I wanted it to be a surprise. Um, so, cheers. Yeah, obviously, I preferred it when Jamie was missing, um, so he wasn't messing about with my Halloween episode, but, you know, I didn't want him dead, or, you know. If, if they'd offered to take out um, Kennedy, you know, or Cully, you know, maybe, uh, you know, we could have a conversation, but, um, I mean, you know, Jamie isn't really worth it. Let's be real. But does that clear Saudi Arabia of involvement with the case? Some fans don't think so. 
Obviously, it's great that Brucey and Jamie turned up okay, and I'm glad they're friends now. That's nice for both of them. But Newcastle, a historic football club, and one that means a lot to a lot of working people, are still owned by an authoritarian state's investment fund. A state that murders journalists and embassies and chops them up. A state that regularly executes people. A state that is actively bombing people, and they'll use Newcastle Football Club as a way to launder their international reputation. Sorry for the downer, but this is the Halloween special and that's the real horror. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Missing, America's favourite true crime podcast. If you're a new listener, don't forget to subscribe. Make sure you join us for our next episode, episode released next Wednesday, where we'll be taking a look at the curious links from Bram Stoutness and the rumoured manufacturers of the COVID virus in the Wuhan laboratory. Thanks for listening.